Tom Sumner program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into uh, hour two of our three-hour tour. I was hoping to uh, get a chance to talk with, um, oh, the go-to story expert, uh, Linda Olson about her new uh, newest collection called Story Matters, but um, for some reason uh, we haven't been able to connect yet. So welcome to live radio, folks. I'm going to uh, turn to an encore with uh, Seth Radwell, the uh, author of American Schism, fascinating book that talks about how the political divide in this country has been around for a very, very long time, and he suggests some ways that we might be able to turn it around, but uh, we'll get into that with Seth David Radwell next. <laughs> Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, my guest this hour has uh, written a book that uh, explains how um, the two Enlightenments uh, in the United States hold the secret to healing our nation. We we all know that uh, um, things are are very divisive, especially in political circles. Um, he has a, a um, a new book. It's called American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation. And we're going to explore that with business leader and uh, um, author. He has a uh, master's degree in public policy from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. He joins me by phone, Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. Uh, it, it's really a, a pleasure to be here with you, and I'm, I was very much looking forward to it, uh, Tom. Seth, what what made you want to tackle the Great Divide? <laughs> it, 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 it's, I, I, well, I love that question because, you know, most of my career, I, I've always had a deep interest in public policy since I, uh, I got a master's degree in it. Uh, many, many years ago, but most of my career is in the business field. I've run many successful companies. But what, what started to happen over the last couple of years w- was that I, I started to watch as our political discourse uh, was seemed to be collapsing. You know, we, we've always had vigorous debates in the public policy arena, and that's great, and it's been, I think, very, very good for our country. But like many Americans, I became more and more disturbed by the apparent disappearance of truth. It, it seemed like there, there was no such thing as objective truth anymore. And 
from my perspective, it seemed like raw and bitter emotions, like anger and, and, and resentment, started to crowd out any logical debate. So I really began to feel like our democracy was in crisis. And, you know, I've always had business contacts and friends on all sides of the political spectrum. There are many very conservative Republicans and others more Democratic, but not, nobody wanted to talk about politics anymore because it was so divisive. And that, you know, Tom, that led me on a journey. That's what about two years ago I decided to really investigate this in more detail because I knew that this wasn't unique. I mean, I, I was enough of a student of history to know that we've always had division in our country, and I wanted to kind of get to the bottom of it. So that, that's what took that's what led me to take this on. But what's interesting is is you talk about um, two enlightenments and. I, I don't know. It seems as as truth and civility have gone by the wayside, it seems like we're becoming less enlightened. And, and uh, sadly, on both sides of the aisle. And it's um, a, a real concern to me. I, I see these yes. back and forths on social media that are like, no, I'm right and you're a moron. Right. Everybody, you know, it, it's that's all you seem to hear in social media. And the research that I've done and that is explained in the book is that 77% of Americans, what I call the exhausted majority, want us to find a better way. They, they don't, they're, they're frustrated with the talk on both the left and the right. And, you know, you wouldn't sense that from watching or listening to social media because it seems like everyone feels that way, but it's not true. 77% of, of Americans, this exhausted majority, believe that we have more in common than tears us apart. And, you know, what I focus on in the book is trying to boil down and get to those common roots. Um, and, of course, at the, in the end, provide a better roadmap for how to move forward and, and rehabilitate, if you will, our public discourse. The reason why, uh, Tom, I call it the two enlightenments is because most Americans have some sense that it was the era of the enlightenment that really led to the birth of our country. But what most Americans don't realize is that even at its founding, there, were, there was a huge divide, a schism, I call it, between two different schools of thought that came out of, of two different enlightenments, if you will. And so one of the things I do in the book is I try to trace the roots of our divisions back to our founding. And you know, a couple of people have asked me, like, well, why, why is that important? It goes back in history, because I am personally a student of history, but other people don't like history as much. And what, what I've said, Tom, to, to, to colleagues is that as much as we feel like we're in a partisan bubble, which you mentioned, like one side feels they're right and the other side thinks that the other side's a moron. So we are caught in these partisan bubbles, but I think we're also caught in a time bubble. And by that I mean we, don't, we need some historical perspective to understand where these divisions that we see today, where did they actually come from? What are their roots and how they evolved? So the process that I went on with American Schism was to trace back, uh, again, these roots back to get out of our time bubble and understand and ground our current political woes in more historical context and objective analysis. 
It seems to me as you look back, and, and I'm, I'm a fan of history, and I, and I like to look back and, and uh, explore some of the divisions that, that you're talking about in the founding of our country. And, of course, as everyone yeah. knows, Benjamin Franklin was the original blogger. Um, yeah. But uh, in all seriousness, what I find, and I'm not sure where it fell off, there was an elegance even in or at least an eloquence in yes in the discourse of the day people could have widely varying points of view or or be very very far apart on a particular issue but they respected the other's other. point of view and, and yes. how that how that got lost and and what's important about about your book Seth is by looking back we remind ourselves of the role models we had not so much in their vision for the country but the way they went about solving the differences along the way yes i think that's exactly right i mean it seems today like that respect is gone and what I illustrate in the book, not only in the founding, but in many other periods, the book then goes through a, a journey of different periods of American history, is that when there were significant disagreements, which there always were, the, the, the dialogue was grounded in reason and analysis, which allowed for compromise. And that's fundamental for democracy, is you've got to compromise, and we always have. And... Tom, what really upset me about the debate today was that it seems like Americans no longer are, want to compromise, and they're not using reason and rationale. One of the ways I describe it is, um, you know, the human species over millennia, over millions of years, have certain responses that, we, that have served us well for evolution. And one of them is this notion of kind of in-group, out-group uh, of fear and, and affirmation. So it all, we, all, we all know this. It feels good to be part of an in-group, and it, it sometimes gets endorphins flowing to criticize an out-group. Um, again, evolutionarily, the, these, these uh, responses serve as well, and they're, but they're quite primitive. And, and we can observe it every day when we watch, if we ever participated in a sports game or watched a sports game, sports fans you know, have all of these emotions which come from those, the, those roots. So I think that type of, of response, that amygdala-driven uh, excitement and endorphin rush, is wonderful for sports, but it's not always the best to, uh, uh, policy or, or um, it's not always the best um, uh, angle for making public policy. And somehow we've allowed <laughs> that, that, that sports-like oomph, that, that, that kind of like, like as, if we're, as if we're playing a, a sports game, we've allowed that to overtake and crowd out our debate. And I thought, and, and, and I thought we'd pulled yeah. ourselves away from British Parliament. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so look, look, there always has been a mix of, of of emotion and passion and rational reason in political debate. It always has a, a bit of both, but I do think that in this particular day and age, it's become crowded out. It's almost all that that uh, again that amygdala-driven uh, reflex. Uh, and when you actually sit in front of someone and talk to someone, we're a country of wonderfully different people. I mean, you know, in the last election, you know, 81 million people voted for Biden. And 
most of them are wonderful people. And 74 million voted for Trump, and, and most of them are wonderful people. These, these are not, yet you would think that each side thinks the other side are complete, uh, um, you know, ingrates or, 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 or idiots. And that's not at all the case. But it's easy to feel that way when we don't see those people in our real lives, when we just see them through social media and everything becomes more anonymous. So, um, you know, part of one of the missions that I'm on with this book, American Schism, is to try to get people to talk to each other again using the word that you just mentioned before, which is so important, which is respectfully, by having a productive, respectful political dialogue. We can, we can disagree you know, our, our country has been based on disagreements, but we've always found ways to compromise. So a democracy, I would say, thrives on divergent views, and we've built an amazing country. But if we reject objective truth altogether, democracy as a form of government is doomed. More about today's divisive politics within the context of U.S. history from the book American Schism by my guest, Seth David Radwell, straight ahead. I have to lay low for a while So I'll be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom general stuff listen I have a legal question what is it mom I just got a call from the water company apparently your father has not been paying the bill I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now can you believe it actually I can't so listen we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. More about today's divisive politics within the context of U.S. history from the book American Schism by my guest, Seth David Radwell, straight ahead. And how do you reintroduce reason after the introduction of the concept of alternative facts and fake news? Right. Well, so that's part of the trick. And I I think the way to do that is to uh, be very... Americans as a whole, we need to be much more uh, circumspect, much more suspicious of everything we see and hear. You know, there are such things as objective truth. There's what we call a constitution of knowledge, which we which has been built over centuries. And the way our constitution of knowledge works, which is in and of itself quite democratic, is that anyone can have ideas and put them out there. But ideas go through a funnel. There's a big wide end on one side. And through things like peer review and, and ob- empirical observation and rational thinking, we we observe we, we examine those those statements and see if they're true and if they come out the other side after having undergone critical analysis and peer review then we accept them as truth that's how our constitution of knowledge works it's wonderful in a way because anyone can put an idea in but only a small subset of those ideas end up being able to survive the the, the rigor of review and analysis and so that's how we have to think, uh, think about almost everything. You know, we, we don't ourselves observe things, but, but we, we know, for example, that the Earth is round. We, many of us didn't observe it ourselves, but we know it because scientists have shown us and proved that it's so. We've seen and, the and pictures. You've seen the pictures, right. So, so you need to see some objective analysis. And I think this notion of everybody having their own truth is very, very dangerous. Look, th- th- there's no question that there was a phenomenon around 50, 60 years ago, which is now called postmodernism, which is an important movement. And it, 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 what it basically says is that there are different perspectives, that much in life is subjective, and that's, of course, all true. But that does not mean that there are not objective truths in the universe. We, we, we know there are, and we found them. Let me, let me just, you know, sometimes when I, when I talk about this, Tom, people get... So they push back. They say, no, there's, you know, objective truth. What, what is that? What's the enlightenment anyway? You know, in some ways, the word enlightenment is out of favor today. Well, let's but see let if, we just... can, if, if we can yeah. um, start, yeah. where, start where you are and, and get us back to the idea of two enlightenments, because you suggest that there have been two mm-hmm. countries, in essence, right. since the very beginning. It wasn't just about slavery. It was over a number of different issues. But can we talk about those those two different enlightenments and, and also figure out a way to modernize role models that will return eloquence and, and yeah. reason to political discourse? Perfect. So, so this is great. I mean, the Enlightenment overall was extremely powerful. It was really, the, it was the dawn of what we call today modern thinking, modern society. And before I get into the two different Enlightenments, let me just make one point. You know, 200 years ago, um, life expectancy was 31 years. Now it's over 70 years. Um, 200 years ago, 
one in five children born did not survive to age five. Today, we, we almost, almost all do. 200 years ago, four-fifths of the world lived in poverty, and today, less than one-fifth of the world lives in that same poverty. So my point being, we've had an incredible run of human prosperity and flourishing in 200 years, and, and a lot of that is due to the Enlightenment, because we've, we've made incredible leaps as a society. You know, it's, in, the, in the old world, almost the entire society, the mass populace, was miserable, and, of course, the nobility and the kings, and they did really well, but most people didn't. So, so overall, that's just the, the backdrop is the Enlightenment was really important. Now, when I say two Enlightenments created two different Americas, what do I mean? So there's, there's been a lot written on this, but the, different, the two Enlightenments are the moderate and the radical Enlightenment. And most of the great philosophers that we think about were part of what, what today is called, what I call the moderate and enlightenment and those are people like john locke and 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 john adams and alexander hamilton a lot of our founders and then there's the radicals which were people like benjamin franklin and thomas Paine and thomas jefferson so what what was the difference what did the radicals believe that the moderates didn't and in a nutshell there were two things there were two big differences but these differences had huge implications one the radicals uh believed that the only legitimate form of government was a representative democracy of the people. That if, if we were going to create a government for the people, it had to be of the people. That's number one. Number two, the radicals had um, noticed, observed, and studied how over the course of many centuries, the, there was a collusion uh, between, between the, the kings and the monarchy and the church to keep most people in their place, to keep people suppressed, if you will. So what the radicals insisted upon, even though some were quite spiritual, was a separation of church and state in the civic arena. So, so those two principles, representative democracy as the form of government, and separation of church and state, those were the two fundamental differences between these two Americas that were founded, uh, you know, back in, in the... In, the spirit of 76, back in 1776 and through the, the war years. Now, who, so when we think about our great uh, founders, you know, how did it divvy up? Well, Alexander Hamilton and John Adams were moderates, and, and people like Thomas Paine and Benjamin Franklin especially, and Jefferson, were radicals. And, and they disagreed about a lot. For example... I'll give you one or two examples, and then, and then I'd love to make, you know, get some of your, your thoughts on this. They, at the, in the 18th century, John Adams and Alexander Hamilton were very concerned about democracy. Democracy was a, kind of, in, in some sense, in that era, was a bad term. It, it meant demagogues. And, and the reason why they were upset, they were concerned about democracy was because most people were not educated. And the feeling among the moderates were, how could most people advocate for themselves, for leaders to represent them, when they're, they don't have education. And so for the moderates like uh, John Adams and Alexander Hamilton, and in Europe people like Voltaire and Rousseau and Locke, the, the moderate solution was to have people like themselves, enlightened people, educated people, govern society, what today we'd call elites. And that was the moderate model. So, it, it, you know, in the Constitution which is kind of a blending of both radical and moderate impulses, 
you have real moderate uh, elements, which is that, for example, the Senate, isn't, it was originally not elected by the people. It was elected by leaders in each of the states, the senators. So that's an example where the, the founders did not want too much democracy. On the other hand, the radicals pushed for democracy, which is why the House is representative with everyone voting. Now, when we say everyone, I have to caveat that, caveat that because, of course, when the Constitution was adopted in 1787 and 88, uh, suffrage was only given to white men with property. <laughs> so even that then was quite limited. But, but, but coming back to the point of these two different enlightenments, the radical and the moderates, they created a huge gap in, a, in the vision of what they thought the country should be. Okay. Now, um, does that make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Right. So, so how did it how did it play out? Well, the, the moderates formed what became the federal. Oh, party. wait a minute. There, there is one point that I that I want to go back and and unpack a little bit, and that's when you talk about sure. radicals and moderates. We're not talking about left and right. No, no, not not really. I mean, of course, what what, what the book kind of explains and goes through is these things did evolve into elements of what we call conservatism and, 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 and more progressiveness. Yes, so there are certain elements of that. But, but let, let's take a look, for example, at the difference between, and this is discussed in the book in, in great detail, between the Declaration of Independence in 1776 and the Constitution that was adopted 12 years later in 1787 and 88. Uh, the Declaration is very much a radical document. I mean, it says, it, 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 you know, it was mostly Jefferson's words, although there was a committee that drafted it, and John Adams and others had input. The, the, the Declaration says that all men are created equal, and that um, every, every uh, person has the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That was quite a radical notion. And as Jefferson wrote in great detail, you know, not only did was there a belief that, that there should be freedom of religion in the new republic, but that there should be freedom from religion uh, as well. And, you know, th those underpinnings which formed what became our creed, the Declaration of Independence, quite radical. Now, why did it shift to become more moderate by the time the Constitution was drafted? Well, there's a great difference between breaking away from England and declaring independence and then the arduous, difficult job of building a nation, of unifying 13 colonies, which each had their own distinct culture and, and, and governing leaders. So in unifying the 13 colonies, things that were required were things like, you know, are we going to levy taxes to pay for the war? Do we need to have a foreign policy? Do we need an army? These were all difficult questions. And... What happened in those 12 years was the practical solutions that were required to make us a nation required compromises. And, you know, one of the great right. moderates... It's who, like that. It's like that adage, we uh, campaign in poetry and govern in prose. Correct. And the classic, the classic um, persona that stands out along those lines is Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton was a moderate and eschewed in democracy... But he believed in competence. He said, if we're going you know, to create a federal government, a, a government of the people that represents all the states, we need 
the most bright, the brightest, and most educated leaders who can resolve problems, who can develop uh, solutions, and who can really uh, um, mediate over competing interests to come to compromises that work for the for the greatest number. And well, so, and George Hamilton Washington, was, George Washington yes. said in his farewell address that if we expect people to elect their own leaders we have an obligation to see that the people are informed. Correct. That they and, should and be that educated. Was, yes, correct. And, and, that, and that was another key difference between the radicals and the moderates. The moderates, as I mentioned before, believe that people like them, the elite, should rule, and the, the radicals believe all people could be educated. And, and, in fact, the French radicals went as far as really specifying early in the 18th century detailed civic education that would be required for citizens of a democracy. Um, and so they, they were actually quite specific. One of the great French radicals, a, a guy named Condorcet, along with Diderot and others, were very specific about the goal of the, of the radical enlightenment was to really allow everyone to understand uh, objective empirical analysis and rationality, that all humans were capable of that. And as a consequence... They believed that, that the state had a big uh, responsibility to educate the citizens. And that is exactly right. Washington famously warned us of that in his farewell address, along with, of course, warning us about the dangers of political parties, right? Which is kind of uh, very prescient. Well, and, and he, in, that, in that section where he talks about uh, political parties, he talks about... Um, Divisions of other kinds, um, yes. geographic, for example. And yes. that it wasn't very long before the war between the states. You know, the the north yes. and south, you know, came to blows. And in a way, he was kind of foreshadowing that. Absolutely, absolutely. And and you know, the founders uh, somehow thought that you know the great sin, of course, of the revolutionary age was. Was slavery, and the founders thought somehow it would go away. That it wouldn't, it, it, it would, it would, it would somehow uh, uh, by itself would resolve itself. And of course, it became more and more um, ingrained in the South, and, and led to an explosion not very long after. Uh, so yes, but the, but what American schism, as a, and I, I think whether where your your listeners will find it interesting, is because it, it takes these differences between the moderate and radical that I just I mentioned before, which were pretty basic differences and tracks them through five points of our history. And one, of course, is the Civil War and Reconstruction. But also it looks at the progressive era in, 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 you know, in, in the beginning of the, of the 20th century and, and the populist party that preceded it at the end of the 19th century. And it looks at the, the 60s and, and then, of course, looks at Obama and Trump and our modern era. And, and it uses that lens to better understand the divisions that we've recently been through. And the purpose of all this is, is to really distill uh, um, truths and, and, pre and premises that might allow us to get unblocked from where we are and move forward more productively. And, and this division that we have now is not unlike the, the kinds of debate that went on in the, the years during which the uh, Constitution was created and, and eventually ratified, and it had to be amended even to get it passed. 
Absolutely. And, and that's another really interesting thing about the historical perspective is when the, the framers of the Constitution knew that times change. And they, for that precise reason, they made it amendable. The idea was that it would change over time. And there were huge debates back then. And, and, and the debates were, were a lot along the lines of these radicals versus moderates. For example, the radicals were worried that the federal government would be too powerful. It, it could tax citizens and according to how it was written in the Constitution, and, and it could also raise armies. Now, just 12 years earlier, what, what happened to the colonists? They were taxed by Britain, and they were standing armies by Britain in, this, in the colonies. So to, this notion of a faraway central power having the ability to tax and raise an army was eerily familiar to the colonists. It was like, we've seen this movie before. So oh, they, they were very nervous about, about the, the moderate approach to this strong central government. And to your point, it's precisely why the only way to get it ratified was to amend it right away with what became, of course, the Bill of Rights, the Ten Amendments, which reserved more power, which, which specified all the freedoms that people have, as well as reserved powers to the states. So absolutely, the idea was to modify the Constitution over time. It was supposed to be a living and breathing document. So we, we end up looking at today's politics, which has, yes. which has become um, just as divided, but with a lot less ability to compromise and and you know that's that's a word that has uh taken on a real negative uh, connotation when in fact it was right. the method by which different points of view would come together and resolve differences in a way that they hoped would be win-win and and a benefit Correct. to some degree to all and, and it was that way. So, you know, where I go to in American Schism in the book is I push the readers or, you know, your listeners to think about a couple of core um, fundamental questions. And let's not get caught up in some of the crazy debates of today. Let's not get pulled into that. Let's go back to and really frame the core issues. As I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, the era of, of the Enlightenment has served us incredibly well. Our civilization has flourished using this system of facts, empirical analysis, rational reasoning, and compromise. Now, do we want to throw it away, or do we believe it can help us solve the problems that, that, are, in a, in, that, that are facing us today, like things like climate change and pandemics, etc.? My argument is that we need to use the system that has served us well of, of, of our enlightenment inheritance. Now, so, so the first question I would, I would ask your listeners is, do we want a government of the people, for the people. I mean, or do we, I mean, do we believe that, that, that the government should be a representative of democracy that's bottom-up, or do we, we want what's happening so frequently across the globe today is this, this, more, this seeming predilection for autocrats, for, for choosing strong men who can lead us with an iron fist. And, and I, you know, I say that to some degree as a warning, but it's, it's, it's happening right now, as, as, as you and your listeners know. If you look across uh, the world, more and more of the world population is opting for allowing for autocratic rule. And so I, I would ask you, you know, the first question is, do we want a government of the people? 
And if the answer to that question is yes, and I would argue, I think the exhausted majority, 77% of Americans or so, believe that they do want a government of the people. Then the second key question you've got to ask is, who gets a seat at the table? Who is us? You know, when we say we the people in the Constitution, what people are we talking about? In 1787, it was white men with property. Over the course of our history, that definition has been expanded. And I think a second key question, once you've determined that you want a government of the people, is who is us? Who are the people? <laughs> and, and that's a, a question that I think is fundamental and is more, is at the root, let's say, of many of the debates we have today, all the discussion about immigration and building a wall. And, you know, these are all questions about how we expand the group you know, what type of policy do we want for immigration? And how do we accept and develop new citizens? And what does that look like? So my only point being is that I think some of these core questions need need to be reframed in a way that makes them accessible and can be debated rationally, as opposed to how they're framed today in, in an emotional context, which makes them quite easy to reject or to have a knee-jerk reaction rejecting the other side. Do you think that that the um, the hatred that has has sep- seeped into uh, the divisiveness that we are experiencing currently is philosophical or is it structural? And when I say structural, I mean. Um, can can we get the the conversation back to the people through limiting money in politics and and trying to to fix issues with gerrymandering and other right. structural kinds of things? Is it form? Is it substance? It's a little bit of both. So, so I'm glad you asked that question because the, in the third part of American Skills in the book, I lay out a plan that I think addresses both. Substantive issues and form issues. And let me be specific. There's no. There's been a lot of research on this, and and there's no question that one of the ways to disseminate uh, or what would to deal with this quote unquote hatred, which I believe is actually, I, I don't think many Americans really hate each other the way that it's portrayed. So that goes back to kind of these extremes monopolizing the conversation in social media today, and our media model, of course. Is, is incentivizes that, which is part of the problem in and of itself. I think that when people spend time with each other face-to-face, now I'm not talking about tweeting or, or messaging on, on a social media platform. When, when, when Americans spend time seeing how other Americans live and really getting to know them, invariably, they, they have a broader perspective. And th- so to answer your question, I mean, ultimately, it's about getting, um, getting people to spend time with each other, understanding different points of view. And, and we used to have forum for doing that, the public square, and, and many, of those, many of those were in person and not digital. So I do think that there's something to be said for creating in-person interactive forum. Um, that being said, there are structural problems. Uh, and, and gerrymandering, which you mentioned, is one of them. Because gerrymandering al- allows districts to be drawn tightly around people of one of one uh, ilk or conservative or, or liberal philosophy whereas in natural geographies there's a blend of both so gerrymandering is not helpful 
And there are many other things about structurally that need to be be fixed. More about today's divisive politics within the context of U.S. history from the book American Schism by my guest, Seth David Radwell. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. 
Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! From the Tom This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about today's divisive politics within the context of U.S. history from the book American Schism by my guest, Seth David Radwell, straight ahead. The whole debate we're having today about voting, I mean, voting is a fundamental part of a democracy of the people. So to some people, it's very interesting. They, they perceive all this focus on voting uh, legislation as making sure that we have secure voting so we need to make sure that there's there's no fraud it's safe and secure other people perceive it as uh you know access to voting making it more difficult to vote we have best practices on this we we, we know what works and what doesn't work and so i i think here's an example where a lot of the debate today is being is being steered by a political agenda as opposed to a logical, rational agenda. And the, the book, in the third part of the book, again, I, I go through many of these things, but, but I, I, we can go into some detail on both the structural parts, like stopping gerrymandering, um, you know, making, making voting registration and voting access to voting much more uh, straightforward and less onerous, as well as other, other topics like that. I mean, I think that one of the examples I give in the book, which... I think it's important to recognize that um, many aspects of our structural framework are, are not democratic. Uh, one example would be, um, you know, this, the Senate and the, 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 the uh, Electoral College are not proportionate to the population. So, so California, which, which uh, has a huge economy, and, uh, you know, if, if you take the two Dakotas and put them together, um, California's economy is like 40 times that of the Dakotas, South, North, and South. And California's population is, I think, you know, 42 times that of the Dakotas. But yet the Dakotas have four senators and California has two senators. So, I mean, so there are certain aspects that are vestiges of our old framework, which probably need to be structurally fixed. And there are ways to do that that will balance. Well, the, the, and the, the, the same thing is true with geography, Seth. You've got yes. Texas has two senators. New Hampshire has right. two senators. Correct, correct. And so some of these things need to be fixed, and we can, we can make representation more proportionate while still ensuring that some of the benefits of, of, of what the Senate was intended to do are still there. So, again, there are, many, there are, there are structural things, but ultimately it's going to require people to stop demonizing each other and listen with a newfound respect whenever i'm talking to someone today whether it's a someone on the right or the left as soon as they start bringing in what i call ad hominem attacks i stop them and say we're going to have this conversation respectfully recognizing that different points of view are what's made us great and we can have different points of view but we're going to have a conversation that uses uh, uh, data and reason as, a, that's, and, and as opposed to only emotion. So I think that's kind of the, the type of stuff that we need to have. Um, interestingly, Tom, one of the things I'm spending some of my time at as I'm talking about the book is thinking about media models that might 
incentivize, you know, the shouting less and the accuracy and reflectiveness of debate more. And I think there are ways to do that. Your show is an example. I mean, I think what you're doing on your show, what you do through these through podcasts and through radio shows is allow us to discuss and debate an issue yeah my with some reflection yeah my uh, one of my um, uh, pet phrases is I try to encourage people to think without telling them what to think yes precisely and we need more of that and so Twitter's not really helpful for that you know and, and some of the cable news shows aren't either. And so I, I, you know, I, I encourage. I think what you're doing is wonderful. And what I, what I've well, also thank you. I appreciate that. that yeah, it's really it's terrific, and that's why I'm so happy to be here. I, I think I think one of the things I try to do in American Schism is for people who don't have a deep understanding of of history or the Enlightenment or philosophy is to frame the ideas in a in a straightforward manner that really kind of created these two different Americas today, which, which were way before we had red and blue <laughs> Americas. And, and, and so they can understand what the differences were about, about these questions about bottom-up government and, 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 and things like, you know, separation of church and state, and really understand those back from the, from the, the, in the 1760s and 70s, all through our history until today. And I think peeling back the onion like that can break us out of some of these bubbles, both the time and partisan bubbles that we live in. So, you know, I hope people will find the book enlightening, and I've gotten very good feedback on it. It actually publishes today, so I'm not sure when this will air, but right now, is today's the first day it's available, wherever books are sold. Well, the end of June. Yeah, right, and, so that's when it's, yeah, it's out. And, um, Seth, I'm having so much fun talking with you, and we're running a little long, so I, I need to wrap it up here. But I okay. always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and the book and your work, past, present, and future. Again, the name of the book is uh, American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation by uh, Seth David Radwell, my, uh, my guest this past hour. Seth, do you have a website? Yes, I, I would encourage your, your listeners to go to the website, AmericanSchismBook.com. So it's a little tricky because schism is hard to spell, but it's American, S-C-H-I-S-M, SchismBook.com. And there you can see excerpts from the book. You can hear, see what people have, who have read it, what, what they've thought about it. There's uh, some video uh, blurbs of me talking about it, and you can download a free, cha free chapters as well. So that's a very good site to go to, americanschismbook.com. And, of course, I think you can also buy the book wherever books are sold, in Kindle version or hardcover, et cetera. And there will be an audio book coming out as well. But that, that can be done at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, Hudson's, all the booksellers online or in person. Well, Seth, thank you so much for spending this time with me. It's, uh, it's been an honor and a privilege to chat with you, and I hope we get to do it again sometime. Well, Tom, thank you so much, and again, congratulations on the work that you're doing, and congratulations to your listeners for being open to new ideas, because that, that's kind of the, the fundamental thing I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for. Once again, the book is American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold the Secret to Healing Our Nation by Seth David Radwell. Seth, take care and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Tom. Pleasure to be with you. Take care. And with that, We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. <music>
I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church Should I sneeze? I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. That is the rule. And I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands. Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find is 16 honey buns and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be. Death of me, the death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized <laughs> as soon as I regained consciousness. Summer 
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.